How many of you like to play board games? Raise your hands. Are you excited? There's a lot. Actually, that's more than I expected. <laughs> Was there any moms that raised their hands? Yeah? Okay. You need to be, play board games with your moms today, all right? Even if you don't like. Thankfully, my mom doesn't like board games, so I don't have to play board games with her. Because I actually hate playing board games. <laughs> I, I, I've never enjoyed it. I don't know why. I, I, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm kind of competitive. You'd kind of think that. But that may be the reason why I don't. Because so many board games depend on luck. And when I play like board games with Lisa and she beats me, it just ticks me off. <laughs> she, where's she at? She's not even in here, is it? Some board games, however, require more than luck, right? Uh, take chess, for example. Anybody play chess? I haven't played chess since I was like in junior high, which means I've never really played chess. I admit that. But I did learn a few things about chess. Uh, I, I, it takes a lot of skill. Um, you, you, need to be, you need to think um, multiple moves ahead if you're going to be a really good chess player, right? Um, a really, like a master chess player understands that in order to achieve the goal, which is what in chess? Check me, right? In order to achieve the goal, you have, there are sacrifices that need to be made along the way, right? You might need to sacrifice a pawn or a knight or whatever. I'm not even sure I know the difference between any of those, but I do know that much. And I have now exhausted everything I know about chess. So why do I share any of that with you today? It's because, I tell you what, as I was, I actually study before uh, writing a sermon each week, truth, and as I was studying the passage today that we're going to be looking at, it struck me that um, the parable, by the way, if you're a guest or visitor with us, what, we've been, what we are doing in 2023 here at Prairie Bible is we're, we're looking at all the parables of Jesus um, throughout the year. And the parable that we're going to be looking at today inspired me, or it brought to mind the fact how the parables in general, um, Jesus uses the parables as kind of like pieces on a chessboard. And he's, he's a master chess player. He uses these parables um, and, and strategically thinking multiple moves ahead to achieve checkmate. Now, here's the difference, though. This is why this is not terribly, a terribly good analogy. The, the truth is what Jesus was doing was far more important than any silly game. Because what Jesus was doing with the parables, and what he was doing in general, was, was all about life. And he was, he was talking about eternal life. And he didn't just depend on luck. He, he had this figured out from the very beginning of time what was necessary to win the game, to achieve checkmate. And today, um, I want to show you, I want to help you to understand how that analogy, even though it's, it's a shallow analogy, how that analogy um, fits into what the plan that God, that Jesus had for all of us. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. And if you don't have your Bibles, you're in luck. We have Bibles. If you're using the church Bibles, Matthew chapter 21 is found on page 982, I think. I think that's real close anyway. We're going to be at verse 33. Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. This is the parable of the talents. And as you're looking that up, 
uh, let me take just a moment to, to uh, reestablish something that we talked about last week. Here in Matthew chapter 21, you may recall all the parables, and there's two or three that are found here in Matthew chapter 21. All of the parables in Matthew chapter 21 were told during Holy Week, right? Remember that from last week? And which means why that is important to the context of this particular parable is that um, Jesus knew that they were reaching or that he was reaching the end of the game in an earthly sense, right? That the, if, if we're going to use the analogy of a chess game, it, he was, he, they were, they were um, moving towards checkmate. Now, here's what's ironic. Um, everybody else, the people that were in the crowd that day, most of them, especially the religious leaders or the leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew or they believed that the game was coming to an end too. The difference is they thought they were winning, right? So I, that's what I want you to keep that mindset. Keep that mindset uh, at the fore this morning as we delve into this parable known as the parable of the tenant, all right? Matthew chapter 21, I think it starts at verse 20, or 33, and it, it starts like this. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Please don't trust me. Read it yourself. I'm just going to be paraphrasing it for you, but I'm going to, I'm going to get pretty close. But read it yourself as I retell it for you, all right? Starting at verse 33. Um, it says, Jesus tells this parable. He says, he says um, one day a master plants a vineyard. The master of the house plants a vineyard. And after planting the vineyard, he puts these tenants, or he, he contracts with these tenants to be in charge of the vineyard, uh, and he's going he's gonna to go away to a, a foreign land. Okay? By the way, Jesus loves telling stories about vineyards and fish, right? So, the master goes away, right? Everything's pretty cool up to this point. And there comes a point when the, uh, um, where the vineyard has grown, they're producing uh, a harvest of fruit, right? And he says, I'm going to send my servants, my emissaries, back to the vineyard to um, get my fair share of the harvest. And he, so he sends a, a servant to uh, the tenants to get his fair share of the harvest. And the tenants, when they see the servant, they beat him and send him home. So he sends another servant, and, and they kill him, and then a third servant, and they stone him. And finally, the master of the vineyard says, I'm going to send my son, for surely they will honor him. And the tenants, realizing that this is the heir to the, to the vineyard, think if we kill him, it's all ours. So they did. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Um, I want to I give a 10,000 foot view of parables before we get into this one. But it, this will set up and help you to understand this one a little bit better. If you've been around at all, and what we have discovered about many of the parables that Jesus told his strategy in the beginning of his, his um, kind of earthly public ministry, when he's told parables, oftentimes they were, their meaning was subtle. 
I mean, you could, you could hear the parables of Jesus and you could go, uh, you could walk away thinking, I have no idea what that means. You could hear the parable and you think, uh, uh, I'm not sure I know what that means, but I, I think he's talking about Jana, not me. Whatever, right? I mean, you could literally, you could inter- really, and that was strategic. He, he told these parables that way strategically because what was he trying to do? Do you remember? In telling these more subtle um, parables, these stories that are kind of open-ended, what he was doing was inviting people in. He was inviting his listeners to ask questions. He wanted them to invest, to, to want to go deeper into the Word of God, into, into the kingdom. And when, when people cared enough to ask those deeper questions, he gave them deeper answers, right? Well, it was t- it's time in his ministry to make a strategic shift in his, in his thinking, in the way he, he uses the, the, the pieces of this chess game the parables. He he is moving from being subtle to being almost obnoxious. And that's strategic too. In this parable of the tenants, everybody in the crowd that day knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Everybody did. They knew that what was happening here was that Jesus was Um, retelling the past and foretelling the future. They knew. The scribes, the Pharisees, um, anyone who had kind of a religious tradition coming from a Jewish background, they knew exactly who and what Jesus was talking about. They knew, for example, that, um, that, that, that the tenants in the story was Israel. They knew it. There was no doubt. It was, just, it, was, it was blatantly obvious. Because everybody knew how Israel historically had, had treated the prophets, who were the servants or the emissaries from the master, right? They knew that the prophets had been beaten, stoned, and murdered. And why were the prophets beaten, stoned, and murdered? Do you know? I'll tell you why. They were beaten, stoned, and murdered because people don't like being told what, they do, what they're doing wrong. Nobody does. Nobody enjoys having their sin exposed, having light shined into their darkness. Nobody does. And everybody has sin. Everybody has darkness. Everybody And when God sent the prophets to the people of Israel, that's exactly what he was doing. He was saying, you guys are sinning. It's time to repent and come home. But instead of listening, of hearing, by the way, it takes a measure of brokenness and humility for someone to get beyond their humanness. It is the human condition to like to have our our ears tickled. You know what I mean? To want to hear what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. So it takes a measure of humility and, and brokenness for you to, to receive that, the word of the prophet, if you will. To re- receive the truth. You're a sinner. 
so am I, right? We talk about that every week here. Human beings don't want to be confronted. So what do we human beings do? What did, what did Israel do? They beat, stoned, and murdered the prophets. I don't want to hear it. I just want you to tickle my ears. And by the way, there were, there were prophets who were willing to tickle their ears too. That's a dangerous uh, position to be in, by the way. Uh, another story. So that was Jesus retelling the past. Everybody knew it. Here's the interesting part. The rest of the parable was Jesus foretelling the future. When Jesus was, when he told, when he got to the part about the son, everybody knew that he was talking about himself. Everybody knew it. Whether they agreed that he was the son of the master or not, everybody knew that's what he was talking about. Everybody knew it. And when he said that, that the, the master sent the son and the tenants killed the son, what he was really saying, and what everybody understood was, oh shoot, the jig is up. You, know, you understand? All of us, what he was saying to them is, I know your plan. I know your strategy. I know that it's been your strategy all along that if we just kill him, we win the game. Checkmate. And they're going, I can just imagine the color being just draining from their faces. Going, I know. There, there's nothing that you're, gonna, that you're planning on doing to me that you can do unless I say you can do it. Do you understand that? Listen to this. This is, this is key. Jesus was not a victim Nobody did anything to Jesus that Jesus didn't want them to do. So, when Jesus tells them this parable, which is obnoxiously out there, He's saying to them, guess what? Your plan has been part of my plan all along. Checkmate! Okay, you guys hear me every once in a while when I, I'll say, okay, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. I'm going to meddle now, okay? Are you ready? It would be very, very easy for you, me too. Very, very easy for us to go. Israel sure messed up. Uh-huh. They should have been smarter than that. They should have been more humble than that. They should have recognized their own brokenness and sin. When I said earlier that it is the human condition for us not to like having light shined into our darkness, it is the human condition for us to want to have our ears tickled and told that what we do, what we're doing is good and it's just you. That's us. And I'm telling you the truth. 
If Jesus was walking the earth right now, physically, he's, he is alive, right? But if he was physically walking the earth the way he was walking the earth 2,000 years ago, and if Jesus was physically walking the earth, preaching the things that he was preaching 2,000 years ago, if he was preaching them to you, you know what we would do to him? We'd kill him. I don't know that all of us would, but culturally, we would. Because we are sinners. Because we do want what we want. We want it so desperately that we're willing to do just about anything to get it. I told you I was going from preaching to meddling. But here's, here's the glorious and ironic good news. The glorious and the ironic good news is that God knows that about you. And He loves you anyway. He loves me anyway. The glorious and ironic good news is that even though you and I may have killed Jesus is that the death of Jesus had to happen. There's this big word uh, that theologians use is called atonement. Maybe you've heard it before. Basically, if you break that word down, it means to be made one with. Atonement means to be made one with. And here's, here's the ironic truth. The only way for a perfect and holy God to be made one with a sinful and broken people is for there to be a perfect, unblemished sacrifice. It's called substitutionary atonement. But basically what it means is Jesus had to die for you and me to have any hope at all. And I say, I say hope because that's all it is until we choose to be humble and broken enough to recognize that we are sinners. Every single one of us. And once we recognize and confess our sin, we then must turn. We must repent. Every single one of us. Turn from our sin to Jesus. Without doing that, God still loves you. He always will. But the problem is that without doing that, we will continue to try to fill our hearts, our lives with Things that will never satisfy you. And you will be miserable even in the midst of your, your opulence and affluence. And in fact, the, the things that you've pursued to try to fill that emptiness in your heart will become the thing that, that makes you miserable. Does that make sense? 
Some of you are living it right now and you understand exactly what I'm talking about. It could be that the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart right now saying, that's why I'm miserable. I've got all this stuff. Yet I'm miserable. It's because the only thing that can fill that heart, the only hope that you have is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. That's, all, that's the only hope any of us have. Therefore, the only response for that hope to belong to us is for to confess of our sins, repent, and turn to Jesus. When you do that, do you suddenly become perfect? The answer is no. But I can tell you as one who is imperfect and broken and sinful, I have hope in the midst of all that. Not because of me, but because of Him. Amen? If you've never accepted Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, maybe you should today. It is a simple prayer. It is a confession of sin. A, a desire to repent and ask forgiveness. And instantaneously God forgives you. Just like that. There's nothing that you have to do to, to earn God's forgiveness. He has already earned it for you. Through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Death on the cross. But you've got to want it. Because he's a gentleman and he's not going to make you take it. And then you need to accept him into your heart as Lord. If you've never prayed that prayer and you'd like some help praying it, you don't need me to pray it. You can do that just you and Jesus. But if you'd like help praying that prayer, right over there is our prayer room. It'd be my privilege to pray with you today if there's something else going on in your life that you need prayer for. I'll be right over there.